0: Welcome to iCommunicate on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Good morning. Happy to be here at WCRN Radio, AM 830, and uh, for another edition of iCommunicate and I, I just have to – I was thinking about this this morning. You know, on a past show, I talked about how when it comes to decision-making, there are 35,000 decisions we statistically make every day. And I've already had some really, really tough decisions this morning. Let me tell you, Ted, here's my decisions I've had already to make. Already this morning. Right. I was watching a really good episode of I Lo- Everybody Loves Raymond, and I had to oh. get out of bed and <laughs> yeah. tear myself away from that. Oh. Then eating breakfast, I knew I should have oatmeal because it's healthier. But I did treat myself to a box of blueberry. Uh-oh. So I, I had like unhealthy cereal to start the day. That was okay. a very tough decision. And then I was in the shower. And you know that warm water in the shower. I was in the oh, shower. Yes. And I had to get out of the shower. And it was like.
2: Mesmerizing.
1: Unbelievable. So before we're even at you know, 9, 10 o'clock today, I've already had to make some difficult decisions. And where I am being facetious it is kind of funny when you think about it because I think when you think hear a number like thirty five thousand decisions, you you think to yourself, well, how can that be? It, how, how can you actually have thirty five thousand decisions? But don't forget, it's the decisions you make and it's the decisions you don't make. And there's every hour there's so many of those decisions. And it got me thinking about the word mindset. And you know, every time I work with a company. I always start out by saying, you know, how did I get the name of the company Mindset Go? People are like, wow, what a clever name with mindset in it. And it was intentional. There's no question about it. And the origin of the word mindset for me really came from my love of sports and coaching it and playing it and watching it. Because of all the years I've coached sports and coached so many kids, you just can predict. It's such an accurate predictor of success when you know their mindset. And if they believe, boys and girls, if they believe they're going to be successful, more often than not, they're successful. And if not, then you don't often feel like they're going to be successful. So, so you know, look, at the end of the day, what it comes down to for mindset is it's almost like you have to manipulate your mind sometimes. And on the show today, we're going to talk about a mindset that, that you may not have ever heard of. And uh, so it's it's going to be a show, and it's called the reductive mindset. And when we hear mindset, we typically hear the probably the most common mindset we hear of is a growth mindset. That's that's the most common phrase. But you know the other thing with mindset really is the other kinds of mindsets you could have is you could have a lazy mindset. You could have a lazy mindset. You can have a a business-oriented mindset. And I'm going to tell you, before I get into discussion about the reductive mindset today, I'm going to tell you three mindsets that I think we should have permanently etched into our thought process and focus. One of them, as Ted and I have talked about several times on the show, is a curiosity mindset. And that is the mindset where When someone says something, does something, you read an email, there's something going on, your default reaction is to be curious as to what's actually happening as opposed to making assumptions and being negative. That's one mindset. The second mindset I always like to tell people to have is what I call an applicability mindset. And an applicability mindset is when you learn something new, whether it's organically or inorganically, when you have the opportunity to take in new information your, your instinctive reaction is, how could I apply this to what I'm doing? As opposed to, that wouldn't really work for me, or that wouldn't really work in this situation. So an applicability mindset, it, I hate that, you know, the whole glass half full, glass half empty, it just feels so generic. So the applicability mindset, again, is a default mindset to, wait, how could I use this? How could this be important to me? How could I apply this? And then, of course, the third mindset is the growth mindset. And we've talked about it a lot on past shows. So just as a reminder for our listeners, the growth mindset is the belief that, and this is the area I want to focus on with growth mindset today, is the belief that mistakes um, or unfortunate events or unfortunate experience are opportunities for you to learn and grow as opposed to beating yourself up for failure or disappointment. And so a growth mindset is looking at mistakes and opportunities as a chance to grow.
2: You know, I, I gotta ask you, can we change the word mistake to experiment?
1: Well, you know, Ted, it's really interesting. Not only can we do that, but I really hate the word. Well, I, I put the word mistake right up there with the word failure, right? Because the, they're such heavy words.
2: And, and they don't exist if you think about it. Every failure, if you will, is evidence toward the solution you are seeking.
1: So what kind of mindset would you say? So, so is that a growth mindset? That would you is just a said? growth mindset. Right, right.
2: I'm trying to echo your words. I love it.
1: I love it. No. And so, so I agree. And you know what's interesting is, you know, I talk about mindset being, you know, you're ma- manipulating your mind. But what it really comes down to is, and I'm going to use this example for a baseball player. If you're a baseball player and... You want to be able to hit a home run. And you go up to the plate and you're going to like, how am I going to hit a home run? I've never hit a home run. I have no evidence to believe I can hit a home run. Now, I'm not proposing in that situation, you just manipulate your mind and say, you know what, even though I've never done it, heck, even though I've never even come close, this at bat, I'm going to hit a home run. What I am saying is that most people, to believe they can achieve something, either have had to have previous success or close success to what you're trying to achieve. But here's the big one. If you're a baseball player and you never hit a home run or come close to it, what are other areas of your life where you've put in time and effort to improve and develop a skill that you were eventually able to do something that you had never done previously? It doesn't have to be baseball. It could be playing violin. You know, it could be learning social studies. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be a sport. But the point is, we set up templates of success for ourselves. And whatever, whatever we succeed in, right, that can be our basis to have a growth mindset.
2: Dare I say, you set up or you have the right mindset and then
1: go. Well, indeed. And so as you think about the word mindset, think about how your mindset sways. Think about what causes your mindset to adjust as Ted just said you know we, we could strike the word mistake from the vocabulary and there are as we've said on the show many times there are so many opportunities to allow your mindset to sway but that's what emotional intelligence is right it's being self-aware of when your mindset is changing controlling how you want to respond versus react so with that said let's get to the mindset of the day which is the reductive mindset now I listened to a speaker about a year ago, Ted, talk about a reductive mindset. And she was an excellent speaker. And it really got me thinking. And her focus of the thought process was around productivity and to-do lists and things like that. So to me, when you look at your to-do list every day, and we did a show recently on attention management versus time management. But when you look at your to-do list today, there are things on the list of, What do I have to do today, right? What do I have to do? How can I improve on what I need to do? How can I replace something I need to do? These are all questions you would have to ask when you're looking at your to-do list. So in the reductive mindset sense, what I want you to think about is every day you think about all the things you have to do or need to do. What if you woke up this morning and said, what can I take off my list? What has been on my list that I don't really need to do? That's step one. Step two would be, what is on my list that isn't really what I should be doing? And let me just say for our listeners, the answer isn't always delegating. It is sometimes delegating, but the answer is sometimes it's just truly not a priority, right? Right. And I think that those two questions are your starting point. And one of the things that we have to do now more than ever, because COVID has thrown us for such a loop in how we live our lives personally and professionally, that we really have to kind of reset and reorganize what our priorities are. And some of us already have. Some of us are in a transitional stage to do so. But the reductive mindset is not just accepting the status quo. Not just going to work every day and saying, I just have to do all this stuff, and I'm busy. And I got to tell you, Ted, and I don't know if you can relate to this. You, you, may, you maybe can. I remember there was a time in my life, uh, really, in most of my 30s. I'm, I'm going to be 49 next month. Don't tell anybody. Ah, you're a youngster. Yeah. But I, but I, for most of my 30s, I remember I couldn't even think about what was going to happen tomorrow. I just had to get through the day. And I didn't have – like. I mean, I was going through some personal challenges, but I didn't have like a horrible oh, life.
2: Yeah, yeah. I call that the sitting duck mentality. Yeah. Like it's every gun in the hunt is pointed at me.
1: That's, that's a great metaphor. And, and, I, and I think that that's exactly what I felt like. And so the sitting duck mentality and feeling like you just have to get through the day. If you are feeling like you have to get through the day, and now, now that I've, I've studied this and I train on this, I can see this from the outside looking in then you, you are not prioritizing. You don't have a clear view of what's important in your day because you're just getting through it. And you've lost control, really. You've give, actually, Ted, you've not lost control. You've given up control.
2: Right. Well, the duck thing indicates flight rather than fight.
1: Well said. Well said. And so, so I, you know, the reductive mindset is belief that you have a choice, and that's why I started the day with my joking around about showering and getting out of bed and booberry and things like that, because you have a choice. The second you've resigned, by the way, that's another one of my favorite mindsets, the resignation mindset, Sure. the mindset that I'm resigned to this fate. And you know where we see that a lot, Ted? We see that a lot in relationships. A lot of people stay together because the grass isn't necessarily greener, and you know what? I got to tell you, I do work. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Ted, but I actually do what I call post-divorce coaching. Mm. And so a lot of times I will work. I don't take a side. I work with both, you know, the mother and the sure. father sure. and to help them prioritize the children. Right. Yeah. And so the resignation mindset is, you know, I'm going to stay with my wife or I'm going to stay with my husband because it's better for the kids. You know, it's going to be more. And, and I always say to people, you know, in, su- in many cases, it's the opposite. You're exposing your kids to significant dysfunction, arguing, trauma, that it actually could be better for the kids if you're not together. And it's situational. But the point right, is, right, absolutely. It, it's situational. The
2: age of the children, the finances of the family, there's many situations that affect this.
1: But it just always strikes me as interesting because there's a rationalization that takes place. Because I like that you brought in the financial aspect, too. And age and finances are very critical, cr- uh, critical factors.
2: But <laughs> well, I, Most divorce attorneys, the first thing out of their mouth is, you can't afford to get divorced. Well,
1: that, that's right. That's right. And, and so there's a rationalization in a lot of cases that we're going to stay together for the kids when that's not actually the real reason you're staying together.
2: Right. It's, it's a lie, and kids see right through it.
1: So, look— You have to have a belief that you have a choice, that you have control over your life and your situation. It all starts with there, And that's a mindset. Mindset of I have a choice. Mindset that I can make a decision. And a mindset of if I make that choice and if I make that decision, it may not work out. It could be the wrong choice or the wrong decision. But then you'd have to compare it so where you're at right now there you go and if you look at if you if you were tracking your choices and decisions up until this point in your life and said, "Well man, my hit rate on choices and decisions right now is only about 50%. So man, even if I start to really exercise and advocate for myself, my choices and my decision making probably won't be worse than 50%." So you have a choice, you can make decisions And that's what the reductive mindset is about, exercising your choices and decisions. So, when we come back from the first break, we're going to get more into the reductive mindset, more into how leaders can model that reductive mindset, and the importance of doing just that. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
0: Communicate continues on full-service radio,
1: 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate, and if you'd like to call in the show, please call in at 508-871-7000. What's that number? It's 508-871-7000. So... Look, I, I, we've been talking about reductive mindset. And I think a good a starting point for our segment here is to talk about the difference between activity and productivity huh. because they're very different. And we, we are a society that worships achievement and growth. I mean, we are totally ri- taught that achievement and growth is, are everything. Now, what's interesting to me, and Ted, I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this. When it comes to growth, I don't think that continues on necessarily as an adult. As a matter of fact, I think when you're growing up as a child and learning new things and taking initiative and trying new things, it's very much echoed as a child. But I feel like growth, personal growth, is kind of a polarizing topic. People won't say it's bad but people won't necessarily make it a priority. And I think that's where the difference is. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Wow, Um, I don't know if you're gonna like this one. Um, I've always thought that growth is tied to two things, efficiency and performance. And um, rather than take it into a a realm of parenting or even into business, let's talk about a performer, somebody who's an artist that uh, practices their instrument well you can practice your instrument and practice a particular piece of music over and over and over and over again but how much growth are you going to add to your performance through the efficient ability
1: to practice well wait a minute let me ask you let me spin this a little bit okay Let's talk about growth since it's my favorite topic around communication. Okay? Okay. okay. So let's pretend um, you have someone working for you and they don't communicate effectively. Either it's written communication, verbal communication. Their challenge. Their challenge. And you say to them, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to take an online class. I'd like you to go to a training. You give them some literature to review and study. And let's say the person's open to it. They're, they're receptive to what you're asking them to do. I, I find the problem with growth, Ted, when it comes to relationships and communication is there isn't a clear recognition. There isn't a clear ROI. So for instance, if someone is writing emails that aren't very cohesive or succinct or whatever, and you, you point this out, and then all of a sudden the emails get better, then What? Like, so what? The emails got better. I put in all this time, so my emails are better. What do I get for that, Ted? Right. Do you but know what look, I'm saying? Like,
2: how do they quantify that's the growth? Right. That's right. And I guess that's where I was going with the performer. The only way to quantify growth as a performer is if you are more candid and your presentation or your presentation evokes from the audience a reward. Now, I can tell you from experience, I can practice the minuet, in G, the minuet in G over and over and over again. But unless I am the minuet in G when mm-hmm. I perform it, it doesn't matter how many times I practice it. So sometimes re- reducing the, <laughs> the number of practice sessions and being more candid when I play it gets a more positive evocation from the audience.
1: Well, and so, you know, this is what I want to respond. When when Ted talks about that, what's going through my mind is that motivation for personal growth is often tied into an outcome or some kind of instant gratification or achievement. Because if you're going to put in the time and effort to prioritize personal growth and then you don't get the outcome or the immediate gratification, you're less motivated to do so. All right, so we have a caller on the line. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. How are we today? Great. So I missed,
0: uh, I'm sorry to say you cut out a little bit, I missed you coming out of the break talking about reductive mindset. Uh, But, Mike, I've got a question. Sure. Um, Mine focuses more on a group mindset and getting, you know, everybody in a workplace or wherever it is, if it's your friends or whatever, everybody has their own goals and ambitions in life, but in a in a business, you need a group. How do we, uh, how do we get into that? How do you bring all those people together, you know, in, as you would say, the mindset to, to, uh, you know, focus on the team goal rather than their own?
1: Okay. That's awesome, Matt. So Matt, um, in this segment, we only have a minute. So will you stay on the line in between segments? Okay. So, but you're just to confirm before we go to break, you're talking about how do you create that cohesive team oriented mindset, less of an individual mindset? All right, yeah, great question, Matt. Yep. And we'll, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in our next break. I mean, the one last point I'll make heading into break is, you know, the number one job of a leader. I've said this before is understanding what motivates and drives people, and so much of creating that, and I'll expand on this, but so much of creating that is what drives people, and, and, and often in the workplace we re- we're lazy. We we rely on motivating and incentivizing people the exact same way and we don't personalize or individualize that motivation. And so that's where the challenges begin. So Matt, I will expand on this after the break. Um this for Mark I'm Mark Altman for iCommunicate. We'll be right back. <clears throat> been saying this more and more to companies these days, that we have to start recognizing that age does not define um, a guaranteed skill set. And, you know, people get to be 30, 40, 50 years old, and we assume they should know how to do certain things, and they don't. And here's my example. When you talk about how to create that team-oriented mindset, a lot of people haven't worked not only in a team-oriented culture, but a lot of people, even if they have, team Culture hasn't been a priority. Yep. Right. And so and maybe individual goals have been focused. So for instance, if you take sales teams as an example, right, sales teams are typically incentivized individually, Absolutely. right? Commissions, quotas, goals. But yep. now, if you incentivize them as results for the entire team, and set like, okay, everybody, we have to generate a million dollars in revenue this quarter collectively. You know, I think that's a part of it. But I have three rules, Philly, that I, I think from for to create a team-oriented culture, I think there's three big things. First of all, everybody on the team has to know how they contribute. And in you know, a lot of people yep. might say, Well, yeah, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying not contribute to you being successful, contribute yeah. to the team being successful. Yep. The second thing is and I'm amazed, Matt, how many people don't have goals in their life. You know, you have to know mm-hmm. whether it's a team. And by the way, individual goals actually can contribute to team goals. Yep, but agreed. you have to have goals, and the goals have to be smart goals. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the second. And the third, to me, and this may be the biggest of all, Matt, is feedback. Because... Matt, you've been in a position of leadership several times in your career, and you know that if you're managing a team, especially in the hospitality industry, if you're meeting with people and having uh, team meetings and people don't feel like they can speak up, they should speak up, you're empowering them to do so, then that is a real kryptonite to a cohesive team. So I think it's, it's knowing how you directly contribute, setting goals, and empowering people for feedback.
0: Fantastic.
1: Matt, you are the man. Thank you for calling the show. Always love having you on. And and you Mark, know what? I want I want our listeners to know. Matt only had one flaw. I knew him growing up. Only one flaw. And that one,
0: you're 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 far too kind. Yeah,
1: and that was he was a Georgetown Hoyas fan back in the '80s. Hey,
0: still am. Oh! Well,
1: So so. Uh, anyways, uh, rest in peace, John Thompson. Yeah,
0: uh indeed. Mark, so, great show as always. Love listening to you. Matt,
1: thanks for the call. Talk to you All soon. All
0: right. Take care.
1: All right. We're heading into our third break. All right, thank you for listening to I Communicate. We'll be back for our final segment for Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
0: Communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN.
1: Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. You know, Ted, I got to tell you, I'm watching this great documentary on Showtime right now about the Comedy Store out in California, which which, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. And it is so fabulous. Like Basically, anybody and everybody of famous comedian the last 50 years has performed at the Comedy Store. And uh, there's one guy, one comedian on the show, and you know what his name for his podcast is? This is the greatest. I I, want to steal this so bad. (laughs) His podcast is called The Skeptic Tank.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't that awesome? Well, remember what Bo Diddley said. What's that? He said, amateurs imitate,
1: professionals steal. Indeed. So just take it. Right? I so want to take The (laughs) Skeptic Tank. Uh, All right. So we're back. Segment four, we're talking about the reductive mindset. And in this last segment... You know, I want to talk about modeling this behavior for leaders. And, you know, what's really interesting is I did a, I did a training for about a dozen executives yesterday uh, on, on being a more effective communicator, emotional intelligence and such. And one of the leaders asked me during the program, he said, you know, Mark, my communication problem, and this is how he worded it. He said, my communication problem is I don't talk to my team enough. I don't, I don't really feel – I feel like I should be talking more to my employees. I should be – this is the CEO of a company. I should be talking more to the leaders. And I looked at him and I said, well, you say you think you should. Why should you? Like what do you think isn't happening that you feel the need to do that? And he, he didn't really have an answer. He, he just kind of said, well, I just feel like I'm supposed to. And, you know, I'm really big on calling – Uh, to attention for people and having self-awareness on societal templates. You know, so this is a societal corporate template. You're supposed to spend X amount of time with your team and your leaders. And by the way, don't misread what I'm saying. I I believe in that. What I am saying, though, is as I pointed out to him, I said, so you don't really have a communication problem. You have a priority problem or you have an attention management problem because you don't really seem like you want to make the choice to – budget that time to do that. And he said, he said, yeah, I guess, I guess you do that. I said, well, let's say you did. Let's say starting next week, you were going to budget. He said, well, I have like 70 employees. I said, I understand. I said, so why don't you pick, you know, maybe a fifth of them every week, you know, 10 to 15 of them every week and make a point to go see how they're doing, have like an authentic conversation with them. And let's say that's going to take you, if you do that with 10, let's say 10 employees is a round number. And you were going to budget 10 minutes of conversation for 10 employees. Well, that's an hour and 40 minutes, right? Let's call it two hours to be safe. You're telling me that two hours of time, whatever you're going to replace with your reductive mindset, by taking that two hours of time, you're telling me that two hours of conversation isn't worth whatever you're going to replace. And he's like, well, when you put it that way, you may be right. And I said, look, here's what it comes down to. And Ted, you've heard me talk about this on the show. Part of having a reductive mindset is understanding what the rewards in gratification are for the changes in behavior. Now, in this specific example that I'm talking about, the rewards could be um, improved employee engagement, improved employee retention. Um, And how about this one? improved customer relationships and retention because your employees are happy and they're the ones that are dealing with your customers. So there's a direct translation. But Ted, there, there, therein lies the rub. The rub is that if you don't actually track things like employee engagement retention and customer engagement retention, then would you even, as I said earlier in the show, how would you know to recognize it was actually improved? And in what, in you know, what what Ted was talking to about before in a previous segment is, you know, one of the ways you can recognize it, even if you don't statistically measure it, is feedback, right? So if all of a sudden, you know, one of your employees says to you, you know, boy, you know, geez, Ted, I've noticed in the last couple of months you've been making more of an effort, you know, to come see me or see how I'm doing or whatever. And by the way, the likelihood that an employee or a leader would give you that feedback is not impossible, but lesser, it's it's unli- more unlikely than likely. Which begs the question, can you ask for the feedback? Do you Are you needy or high maintenance because you're asking for the feedback? And I will say vociferously, no. And if you are making the effort as an executive to have that reductive mindset, to spend more time with your team, Heck, even if it's five-minute discussions instead of ten, it's something. It's an acknowledgement. It's an effort. Then I would say the next time you have a meeting, company-wide meeting, team meeting, leadership meeting, whatever it is, why don't you come right out and ask? Hey, you know, I've been trying to make more of an effort to be visible, to show you I care, to see that I'm out there and I'm in touch with what's happening at the company, at all levels of the company. Have you guys noticed that? Has it felt better for you? What do you think, Ted? Like, why not ask?
2: Well, honestly, I I would think it would make the CEO look needy to look to people for some sort of positive feedback. Uh, The best example I have in my past of this is the executive that realized as CEO that he needed to speak with his people more often and the company was growing and growing. And, and he felt overwhelmed with the number of because he was always a one-to-one kind of guy. And I recommended to him that he have a meeting every morning where he gives out a reward, a cash reward or a spiff or a, some sort of a fun thing that everybody will laugh about and do it in the cafeteria where everybody can sit together. And that went off, he has, to this day, is doing it every day. And he's one of, his company is one of the most successful in his segment. Now, I asked him also at the end of the day to have a meeting and have the same meeting, same place, but not talk business and just have ice cream. So that they wanna come back the next morning but um, he, he, he didn't want to buy the
1: ice cream. Well, so, so here's the thing. I respect your opinion, and I think there is a legitimate faction of people out there that may interpret that as being needy. So I'll give you that. However, here's my point. The problem is that so many leaders, unless they can identify a clear ROI, a clear quantified value for a change in behavior, and, and spending more time with your personnel is such a great example because there is no clear return i want the i want to take the trade ted
2: right intrinsic I'll, versus right
1: not. and and so if if there's 10 people in the room and two people are saying to themselves well that seems pretty needy and the other eight people are are giving him or her feedback that yeah you know what it's appreciated it's noticed well now that executive's going to go All right. They appreciate me because I will tell you, Ted, in a comparable example, and I haven't said this in a while on the show, but a lot of times when I do executive coaching, I'll hear an executive say to me, you know what? I don't understand. You know, I give them a great benefits package. I give them great compensation. I give them this. I give them that. I give them flexible work schedule. And you know what? They're still not happy. And that's what I mean. So right. they think they're doing all these things, but because they don't get the feedback and because they only focus on the negative mindset of what's going on, and that's why I take the trade that even if a handful of people think it's needy, I'll take the trade.
2: That's brilliant. I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, when I made the recommendation, it was a very long time ago, and things were very different.
1: Well, except I very much agree with your recommendations. Like I, that. On a separate note, um, and you know what? I, As a final thought to the show today, it's a perfect way to end it based on what you said. You talked about giving a reward, okay? So I I cannot stand the concept of a participation trophy, okay? I can't stand it. That's crazy. However, as a coach, believe it or not, I have, in certain teams I've coached, I've given out trophies or certificates for things like hustle, Teamwork, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: commitment to practice or, right. or whatever, actual performance, performance related. related. Now, so my point is that there's a lot of organizations that'll do things like Ted said that will have some kind of weekly acknowledgement or daily acknowledgement or monthly, like that stuff is huge for people, and every single person. That wants to look me in the eye, I don't care what level you are in an organization, and tells me you don't need compliments and you don't need recognition, I'm gonna say you're full of it. Because you may think you don't need it, but you'd like it, and it would feel good to get it. Yes. So needing it and liking it, it's it's just people need this now more than ever. They need the recognition. They need the support. It helps them build confidence. It helps them, remi- it reminds them of their direct contributions, why they're doing the job in the first place. All these things are critical. An enormous point. Right? All right. So, before we go, if you would like more information about using Mindset Go for speaking engagements, facilitating strategic planning meetings, leadership culture, sales training, things of this ilk, please call 978 206 1535. And info at mindsetgo.com. Ted, thanks again for everything, and uh, we'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.